Have you ever found yourself in one of those two positions where either you are trying to perform for God or you're trying to seek the applause of people? The temptation of those two opportunities that, man, I just need to do more, be more, work harder for God and, and he'll smile or nod his head and, or, hey, I just need to be bigger and greater for other people so that I get to hear their applause. Today we're talking about dangerous deals and, and we're really looking at the temptation to move from seeking God's approval to people's applause. And it's subtle. And it's really easy to do that. So here I want to ask you one question. Before we get started, I'm going to have you hold on to it because we're going to circle back to it at the end. But whose approval have you wanted? Whose approval have you wanted in your life? When you were growing up, could have been in middle school, high school, could be even now. But who was it in your life that you just wanted, man, I just want to hear them say, I'm proud of you. You wanted to hear them say, good job. You got them? And if they're in the room, don't say anything, okay? But hang on to that because we're going to come back to it, all right? Last week, Doug started this teaching series, and we talked about the dangerous deal of moving away from the eternal values to temporary values, that the future God seeking the kingdom is so nebulous, kind of so far out there that that we kind of turn and go, you know what, the here and now, I can feel, I can see, I can taste, and, and man, some of it's really good. And I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to chase that. And, and we looked at a passage in Matthew that said, hey, do not store up treasures that moths can eat and rust can destroy. And it was about don't trade in the eternal rewards God has for us, the eternal values God has for us for something that is temporary, something is fleeting. Keep it in perspective. So now we turn to approval for applause. And when I was growing up, my next-door neighbor, Greg, and I, we played together all the time. I thought his dad had the greatest job in the world. I had no idea what he did, really. He was the director for Park and Recreation of a suburb of Chicago, but what I did know was he brought home all kinds of cool stuff. One summer he brought home a full-size regulation soccer goal that we put up in their backyard. I didn't realize, well, it was just a leftover goal that they had and they were trying to get rid of it. But at the time, man, I'm going, your dad's so cool. <laughs> then he brought home a glass basketball you know, backboard and rim and we put that out in their front yard. I'm like, your dad is amazing and awesome. And, and, and we would use all this stuff. And we would have fun with it. And, and most summers, we would play soccer in their backyard. Now, remember, this is the 1970s. Soccer in the U.S., well, it wasn't really thought of as a sport. Let's just put it that way, all right? There was no one that was spectacular. There was no great athletes in the U.S. I mean, if you were thinking of athletes, you thought of Pele and Franz Beckenbauer and Franz Mueller. And you guys, your eyes just all glazed over. You're like, who? I know. But, but for those of us that played soccer, you know, we, we knew who they were, and we pretended to be them. And I don't know if this is just about middle school and high school boys, 
But, you know, you're in the backyard and you start that clock countdown. You've seen it with basketball too. But we'd start that clock countdown. It's a game is tied. There's 10 seconds left. And, and Doug Weinkoff has the ball. Oh, he makes a quick pass to, to Greg. And oh, no, he passes it back. It's a breakaway. Five, four. He shoots. Three, two. It's in the upper corner. They score. <sighs> and of course, we actually did this, you know. We did this, you know. We did that with basketball. We'd be out there shooting on the driveway. And it's 10, 5, 3, 2. The shot is up. And usually it clanked off the backboard and didn't have that roar of the crowd. But you know what? I wanted to be somebody. I just got to ask, how many of you have played that game? Come on. Yeah, we've, we've done that. We wanted to be somebody. And you know what? I one time thought that, hey, you know, that's a middle school phenomenon. That's a high school boy phenomenon. But you know what I realized? No, it doesn't go away. Let me show you what I mean. Jumping on the scorer's table, going, yeah. There is something in us that kind of likes to be the center of attention at times. That, you know what they're saying? I am the man. Half of those games weren't even in the playoffs, just so you know. (laughs) It wasn't like, oh, well, there's a reason, Doug. That was for the finals. No, it was just a game. And they'd play another 82 games during that season. But there's something about us that, you know what, we, we go, I want to be the man. I want to be the woman. I want to be somebody. And like I said before, I thought that, you know what, that's something when you're kids and, and as you grow up, it becomes ancient history. You move on. Well, I know that wasn't true for me. When I moved here to be the youth pastor of another church in town, I had uh, my first encounter with Doug Mathers. We were... (laughs) Hey, don't steal it. (laughs) We were gathered up, about a half dozen of us together, and one of the guys has a bright idea to say, hey, what are your goals and what, what do you hope happens this next year? So... They're going around, and, and when it gets to my turn, I said, well, my name is Doug Weinkoff, and my plan is to be the largest student ministry in all of Rochester within the next year. And Mathers was sitting on my left, and he goes, you know, the words that I wanted to say, I just couldn't say as a follower of Jesus, but he goes, what a jerk. What a jerk. And he still hired me. But yeah, I wanted to be somebody. Now, 
Would it have been okay to have lots of kids coming to church? Absolutely. Would it have been great to have lots of kids put their faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But somewhere along the way, it got muddled. And and I had seen it happen because I was from a suburb of Chicago, and man, one of the biggest churches around Willow Creek was in my backyard. And I had 20 high school kids there, and and Willow Creek had 800 high school kids there. And Dan Webster was the man. Everybody talked about him. He was writing books. He was kind of famous. And, and there was this temptation, this desire. that It would be kind of cool to be like him. So ancient history. Or is it? Or is it something we will wrestle with most of our adult lives? Is it something that that somewhere inside of us have we have this drive to I want people to notice me. I want people to pat me on the back. I want people to say, Wow, you did an amazing job. You did that really well. There is a temptation there that we trade the applause of God doing something for him, something really good. And we twist it into something that seeks applause. See, I can forget for whom and what I'm living. If I'm not careful, if I don't keep my head in the right place, my heart in the right place, I can twist that and even take something that's really good, really awesome, and make it about me. Approval to applause. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. It's so subtle. That's why it's dangerous. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood this completely. In Matthew chapter 6, he's talking to his disciples. And he points out to them, let me show you how simple it is, how easy it is to move from the applause of God or from the approval of God to the applause of man. And he, and he points that out in three different ways that the disciples could see it and watch it happen. And the first one was in giving to the poor. And that was part of Jewish faith, that we would give to widows and orphans. And, and he writes this, or he says this to the disciples, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus was acknowledging the applause of the crowd is tempting. It's seductive. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. So whenever you see the word hypocrite, I want you to translate that as Pharisees, the religious leaders, the who's who of faith. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees that, man, they make it all about themselves. I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus says there is a challenge between approval 
and applause. The Pharisees giving offerings at the temple. Good thing? Absolutely. Until it gets twisted and it becomes about them. He moves on and he says, hey, I, I want to bring up the topic of prayer too. Prayer has the same challenges. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Again, hypocrites equals Pharisees. Do you ever wonder why the Pharisees were so ticked off at Jesus? It's because he called them out. He told them, you are not following God the way God wants you to. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. In other words, make sure it's all about approval and not applause. He moves on to one last topic, which is fasting. And, and fasting is not, is not something much that the American church really focuses on, but fasting has always been part of faith. Fasting has always been a part of following God. And, and the purpose of fasting is not to go on a diet, just so you know. That has nothing to do with it. It's not like, hey, I need to shed some pounds, I'm going to fast for the next week. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Fasting is saying, hey, I'm not going to have this meal, and instead of that, I'm going to take time to read my Bible. I'm going to take time to pray. I'm going to take time to journal. I'm going to just take time and be still and try and listen for God to show up. That was the point of fasting. That is the point of fasting. And, and for many of us, it's maybe a discipline that, that we should try out that we should experience. It's not part of the American church. We don't talk about it a lot. Um, but there is, there is something to it that if you try it and live it out, you'll go, wow, this, this has brought me closer to God. So that was for free. But here's what, what Jesus says. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable with disheveled, and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Hey, make sure it's about approval, not applause so he chose giving he chose prayer and he chose fasting because those were the three main parts of Jewish faith if you were a Jewish person of faith this was expected of you you knew that this was part of part of your faith that this is what God desired from you and the Pharisees turned it from approval of God into this applause moment so that everyone around them would know I'm devoted. For us it'd be I'm the man. Yep. A little applause now. 
little cheering. Look at me. I'm a Pharisee. I thought, how would that be translated today? If Jesus rewrote that passage for us today, what would he be put in there? Here's a couple of possibilities. It might be about church attendance or devotions or serving. You know, that's right. I'm at church. Whenever the doors are open, I am there. Just so you know, we do not give out gold stars. We have no idea if you're here or not here each week. There's three services. About 2,000 people show up here in and out of a month. And, and we are thrilled that you're here. But trust me, there will be no applause. But we're glad you're here. Devotions. Yep, I read my Bible. I have two Bible studies. I'm also in a group Bible study. And, and I am all about this learning and devotions. Is it, is it wrong to have devotions? No, absolutely not. But when you make that the central point to make sure everybody else knows you're having them, something's gotten twisted. And even serving can do that, right? Hey, man, I am spending so many hours serving. Notice me. Look what I'm doing. The reality is God wants us to do these things because we love him. He wants us to do these things. Yes, it, it sounds weird when we say for approval, but it's because we know this is what God desires for us and he knows what's best for us. See, there are some people around this church that serve week in and week out and you'll never know it. I mean, they do things behind the scenes that unless you're on that team, you'll never know they were here. You'll never know. They do it at off hours. They do it at weird times. They do it when, when the only people here are the pastors. They do it on days when the building is closed. But if they didn't do it, we'd notice it. So let me give you an example, and these, these guys would probably kill me if they knew I was going to do this to them. Um, but we have 20 acres of grass, that's a lot of grass, and it gets cut every week. Now, unless you're probably on one of those teams or one of their good friends, you probably have no idea who's cutting the grass around here. And yet every week they come out, and yet sometimes they come out at 7 a.m., sometimes they come out at 8 p.m. in the summer. We have no idea when they're coming out, to be quite honest, but they're cutting the grass, and they're serving. And there is no applause. And no one notices. And I think God goes, and that's awesome. And there's people that serve in other ministries around here that unless you're on their teams, you'll never know it. But if they didn't do it, you'd notice it. On another occasion, Jesus emphasized this, this challenge for the disciples again. The desire for applause versus approval. In Matthew chapter 12, we read this. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. 
This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now you may be familiar with that that text. When I was growing up, often that text was interpreted as, look at that woman's incredible sacrifice. She gave everything she had, and and that's how we're supposed to live. and, And we're supposed to just give everything we have to God. I, I think while that was well intended, I think those teachers may have missed the point of this passage. Yes, it's true she gave all she had. Yes, it's probably true that that meant she was trusting God to provide for her next meal. It probably meant, yes, she was trusting God with, with everything about her life. And that's why she could give those two coins with confidence because she had experienced God providing for her. But I don't think that's the point of this text. And the reason I say that is because of what happened right before it. You see, right before it, it's not about sacrificial giving. It's about applause. Because here's what Jesus taught. Be Beware of these teachers of religious law, again, the Pharisees, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogue and the head table at the banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. This is right before Jesus points out the widow. He was trying to remind the disciples, hey, keep your heads on straight. Keep your heart in the right place. The Pharisees, while they look awesome from the outside, they want the applause, they want the praise, something is twisted in their hearts. And they've made it about themselves. And yes, this woman woman has her heart in the right place. And it is about God. And she's not thinking about, look at me. She was a widow. They were lowest in the class systems. No one noticed her. No one paid attention to her. Except Jesus said, and she's got it right. She's doing the right thing for God. Which leads to an obvious question. I mean, is it, is it wrong to receive applause? I mean, if I do something good and people tell me, hey, you did a really nice job. I mean, if we say to the band after this service is over, man, you did a great job, should we stop giving out any kind of affirmations? And of course not. Of course not. We should appreciate when people do a great job. And it's okay when they give us applause. It's are you living for the applause? You know, is it wrong to be admired for good things? No. Let me give you some examples. One of them is hopefully somewhat obvious to you that she's 
She's well known, at least by name, Mother Teresa. Long before she became Mother Teresa, she was just Teresa. And at the age of 18, she decided that God was calling her to be a nun. She had no idea where her life was going, but she just said, I'm going to follow God. She ends up in Calcutta, and at the age of 32, she believes that God wants her to commit her life to the poorest of the poor. Remember, she is not Mother Teresa. She's just nun Teresa. And for the rest of her life, she does devote herself to working with the poorest in Calcutta, actually in the garbage dumps of Calcutta. She creates homes for those who are dying so that they could die with dignity. Did she get applause? Yeah. She even won a Nobel Peace Prize. But I don't think that's what it was about for her. I don't think when she was 18 and when she was 32, she said, yep, and one day... I'm going to be the woman. One day, my name is going to be famous. I don't think so. That just happened. Let me give you one a little closer to home. The uh, NFL has what they call the Man of the Year Award. It was named after Walter Payton in 1999. It's been going on since 1970s. But every team has nominated one player each year for what they do in their community, how they serve and, and what they do behind the scenes and, and how they make an impact. And, and it was named after Walter Payton because year after year he actually won the award because of what he was doing in his community and working with kids and, and all of that. So here's my question, trivia moment for those of you that are NFL buffs. Who is the Minnesota nominee for Man of the Year this year? Nice job, Kyle Rudolph, yeah. Way to know your Vikings players, okay? Kyle Rudolph is that player. So I spent some time this week reading up on him and learning more about him, and, and there's a great video if you ever want to look at this guy and, and get a better glimpse of him. I have to say, I'm man, I would vote for this guy in a heartbeat. Of the 31 guys, I would vote for this guy. And, and here is just a little of the reasons why. He partnered with the University of Minnesota Messianic Children's Hospital. He's raised about $2 million for them to create a place called, well, because it's football, the end zone. And it's a place where, where kids and their parents can go while, while they have, you know, life-ending illnesses. And they can go there and just be a family. And, and there's video games, and there's a kitchen, and there's a living room. And, but it's a place where these kids can just kind of forget about what's happening in their life for at least a few minutes. He serves with the American Cancer Society. His brother died of cancer when he was very young. He works with Muscular Dystrophy Association. He speaks at FCA events, and he's a man of deep faith. When he was in high school, for him, a life-changing event was he went to Israel. And when he went to Israel, the teachings of his church became real. He walked where Jesus walked. He, he learned where, where Jesus taught lessons. And, and for him, he connected all the dots and he went, it's real. And from that point on, it seems like, now once again, it seems like he has had an, an unwavering faith, which has led him to do a lot of the things he's done. 
they were trying to do interviews with all these guys that were nominees and, and kind of get them to talk about what they were doing. And, and he was incredibly reluctant to do it. As a matter of fact, they basically lied to him to get him to do the video taping for what they needed. But they read some of the notes that the hospital had received and some of the notes that he'd even received, and I don't know how they got a hold of them. But let me share you one of them, with you one of them. Kyle, you are one of the kindest, most humble, and compassionate people I've ever met. We have been and will always be blown away by the generosity and kindness you have shown our family, Vanessa Delgado. Her son, Anton, was at the U of M hospital. Her son, Anton, died. And even after he died, he visited their family on a couple of occasions to check in on them. Now remember, this is a guy that's very busy. This is a guy, he's an NFL famous player. He's got stuff to do. You know, they're always working out. They've got a busy schedule. But what I want you to catch was, it's humility. And uh, in the interview, if you catch the interview, if you watch it, um, go, go to the NFL and watch it, he starts crying when they start reading some of the notes. They caught him by surprise, and he didn't... You could tell he wasn't doing it for the applause. That's the spirit I hope we all have. That what we do, how we serve, how we give, how we pray, how we fast... How we love others is out of a spirit of humility. Paul wrote it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, that's just another way of rephrasing. Don't try and get applause for yourself. Look at other people around you. Don't miss something that's important. It's the dangerous deals that are ahead of us in our lives. So I ask you at the beginning, whose approval did you want? Do you want? You got them in your head still? So when I was growing up, when I was in high school, the person whose approval I sought the most was my dad. I wanted my dad to tell me I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. And, and whether it was right or wrong, that meant so much to me at that time. And I don't know who comes to your mind, if it's, if it's a dad, if it's a mom, if it's a friend, if it's your husband, if it's your wife. I don't know who that is. But I want you to go, I want you to think about, so I wanted, I wanted his approval so bad. And he gave it. Please hear that. I mean, my, my dad affirmed me. I'm not, I'm not struggling with it. He loved me. I know he did. I mean, when I took my first full-time church, which was here in Rochester, we moved away from home. We'd packed up. We were at the church building. It was time for them to go, and my dad was incredibly reluctant to get in the car. And all of a sudden, he starts crying. 
I'd only seen my dad cry once in his whole life. And that was when his dad died. And he starts crying. And I have no idea what to do with this. So we hugged. And he told me, I love you. And I'm proud of you and I'm going to miss you. And he got in the car and they drove away and left me in a puddle of emotions in the parking lot. As great as that moment was, I think the moments we have with God when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, are going to be so much bigger that we just can't even grasp it. But, but that's, what, that's what our hearts hunger for. And it'll fulfill us. See, it's a matter of the heart. How we live our lives, what we do, it's about our heart. It's not about the act. So let me ask you some questions. Would you do it if no one knew? You know, would the guys cut the lawn out here week in and week out if no one knew? The answer is yes, they do. But whatever you're doing, whether it's giving or serving or the work you do, Behind the scenes, would you do it if no one knew? If you're not sure, if the answer is no, you may have some work to do. Am I doing this for God? Am I working for God? Am I serving for God? Am I giving for God? Am I living for God? And here's the key. It's not an obligation. It's not that God demands it. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to join God. So here's the to-do. I'm going to give you a couple questions. You can wrestle with them for the remainder of the day, actually, or this week. But here's what I want you to think about. Do I focus on approval or applause? And when you get right down to it, do I focus on I want the approval of God. I want to know that I'm honoring God, I'm serving God, I'm loving God. Or I, you know what, I like the applause. Man, if they'd put a plaque up with my name on a side of a building somewhere, that'd be pretty cool. Trust me, we're never going to do that for you here. I don't care how much you give. There are no plaques. When I'm tempted to chase, when am I tempted to chase applause? Is it in your career that you're sometimes tempted to chase applause for your coworkers or your bosses to notice that, yep, I am special? Is it in your family? When your family gets together, it's that brag time. And, you know, everybody starts talking about how wonderful their children are and how amazing their kids are. And, and they even just start making up stuff, hoping nobody will notice. You know, you know, my child is a brain surgeon. Really? Wow, that's awesome. Your child's three. It's not probably happening. But when are you tempted to chase applause? If you don't know when you are, I'm going to tell you there's a good chance you'll give in to it. If you can't identify it, there's a good chance it'll happen subtly and you'll never know till it's too late. Do I get jealous when others get recognition? 
Hey, when somebody else, you hear somebody else say, that was a great job you did, you kind of go, I wish they said that about me. They're not that good. I'm better. Why didn't you say that about me? Why didn't you notice me? I'm just telling you, that means you're hungry for the applause. You're chasing the applause. Paul wrote this to the Galatian church. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people was my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, just think back to this guy's life. Remember those guys that were hypocrites? The Pharisees? He was one. Probably means he was a who who's who. He was somebody. And he realized that that, that wasn't it. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. So whose approval have you wanted? God's or the people that are around us? Do I hunger to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you look forward to the day when our Heavenly Father hugs you and says, I love you. I'm proud of you. You did a great job. Let's pray. God, when we, we come to you in these moments, it's my hope and I hope it's our hope that we can keep our head together and our hearts in line with you. God, help us to be men and women who hunger for your approval and not for applause. God, this week as we work, as we serve, as we laugh, as we love, as we, as we do life, may it be in a way that honors you and that it isn't driven by our ego and our hunger to be somebody. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a wonderful weekend. Hopefully we'll see you back here next week.